Well, good morning. I want to tell you how much I, I love you and I enjoy these times I have on Saturday morning to focus my attention on you there at the Beacon and what it is that uh, God wants to say to you through his word and, and through me. If everything goes the way it normally does, I've already been over there this morning and we prayed together, we've sung together, worshiped together, and now we're going to hear God's word together. So with that in mind, I want to ask you if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your presence. My father-in-law reminded me the other day that with you, all time is present. You don't experience past, present, and future the way we do. So even though I'm talking today on a Saturday morning at 9.30, and these folks will hear it tomorrow about 10.30, with you, it is now. And so I pray that the same spirit that will be guiding my thoughts and my words will be the spirit that is in those who are listening so that we might hear not my words, but your word through your servant. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you or electronic device that has a Bible on it, I invite you to find 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is the chapter where we are introduced to probably the most important character <laughs> in the rest of the Old Testament, a young man by the name of David. You know, I have a list of least favorite sayings, ones that just drive me crazy. One of them is, guess what, Sharon, you know what it is. It's not your fault. Um, you deserve it. Those are two of them. Another one that's kind of come onto my list is um, God helps those that help themselves which is not a Bible verse at all. It's actually pretty destru destructive. And the newest one is everything happens for a reason. I cannot tell you how many times I have been to a visit a family that's had a death in the family, um, someone that's gone through a difficult time, and someone will say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And he said, well, why does that bother you, Pastor? Well, because not everybody that says that is saying it from a Christian perspective. A lot of times it's kind of built around that whole Hindu, you know, karma, karma, karma kind of a thing where if you do something, it's going to come back around to you, the whole circle of life kind of idea. And so it doesn't really mean the same thing as it does for us because when we talk about things happening for a reason, our understanding as Christians is that that's absolutely true because we serve a God who is in control of everything. As a matter of fact, Paul says it really well in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He's talking about God's rich blessings, and he says in verse 11, he says, everything that happens has been predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. In other words, God plans ahead the things that are going to come into our lives in order for things to be accomplished in accordance with the planning of his will. So, in fact, we believe that nothing happens by accident. Everything happens for a reason, and the reason is God's reason. But just because God knows what it is, there are a lot of times when we don't know what it is. And we see that in our story today, in the passage we're going to be looking at today. Um, Earlier in chapter 16, Samuel has made his famous trip to Bethlehem. God has told him, I want you to go and anoint the next king. 
and he goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has eight sons. Seven of the sons parade before Samuel, and every one of them, God says, nope, he's not the one, nope, he's not the one, nope, he's not the one. And finally, Samuel goes, okay, don't you have any more sons? And Jesse says, oh yeah, I got, I got the baby boy, he's out there tending the sheep. And Samuel says, well, we're not going to eat until you bring him in. And in walks this young man, David. And uh, God says, he's the man. He's the young man that I've chosen. And Samuel takes oil and pours it on David's head. And at that point, the story begins to shift. Well, right after that story, we have a story about Saul. Because we're not done with Saul yet. Matter of fact, Saul has several more years of serving as king. David's not officially uh, anointed to be the king until the book of 2 Samuel chapter 2 or 3. No, it's further back even than that, I think. But I believe that the writer of 1 Samuel put this story right after the story of David's initial anointing because he wants us to see the juxtaposition of these two men and where they are both spiritually and physically. You see, because of Saul's rejection of God, because of Saul's disobedience and his refusal to submit himself to God's rule over his life, because of that happening, there are consequences. And the first thing that happens is Saul loses the presence of God's Spirit. Now, we have to remember something. Before Pentecost, that event that happened in Acts, The Holy Spirit did not indwell God's people. The Holy Spirit worked from outside of them. He would come in for a time to lead them. Probably the most famous story of that is in the book of Judges, uh, in the story of of Samson. Back in the book of Judges, chapter 14 uh, and 15, we have several places where the Spirit of God comes on Samson for a particular task. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In uh, Judges 14, verse 6, It says that there was a lion that came out, and it says the Spirit of the Lord, this is in verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord took control of him or rushed on him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. So the Spirit of God came on him for a specific task, something that needed to be done, that lion needed to be killed, and God gave him the power to do what he needed needed to do. And then in the very next chapter, in chapter 15, um, in verse 14 of that, Uh, he's talking about the Philistines who come to him. It says, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him shouting. These were the enemies of the Israelites. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord took control of him. And again, the word literally is it rushed on him and the ropes that were on his arms became like burnt flax and his bonds fell off his wrists. So, classic example in the life of Samson. But at various times as he served God, the Spirit of God would come upon him and give him uh, certain tasks that needed to be done. We also see that in the life of Saul. Back in chapter 10, after um, Samuel anointed Saul, he says to him, now on your way home, you're going to get back to Gibeah, and the Holy Spirit is going to take over you. In chapter 10, verse 6 of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, we hear Samuel say these words to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will control you or will rush on you. You will prophesy with the prophets and you will be transformed into a different person. 
And sure enough, if you stay right there and go down to verse 10, that's exactly what happens. When Saul and his attendant arrived at Gibeah, which was Saul's home, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God took control of him, and he prophesied along with them. In the very next chapter, in chapter 11, there's a place where there is this, remember uh, last week, two weeks ago, I talked about Saul having kind of a final exam before he became king, and it had to deal with the Ammonites at Jabesh Gilead. And in verse 6 of chapter 11, uh, they get the word of what has happened, what the Ammonites have done, and it says, when Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly rushed on him or took control of him, and his anger burned furiously, and he led them to a great victory. So we see this example of God's Spirit coming to Saul, working with Saul, empowering Saul, and enabling him to do the work that God has for him to do. Now let's get back to our passage for today. Because something happens because of Saul's refusal to be obedient to God. The first thing that happens, it says in verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Because Saul's disobedience, because of Saul's unwillingness to obey God, the Spirit of God left him. From that point forward, God's Spirit never gave Saul the strength and the wisdom and the ability to do what he needed to do. Now I ask you, if it were you, how much could you get done without God's Spirit? I can answer for me, I couldn't do anything to honor God. Oh, I could do things. I wouldn't be laying there like a corpse, but nothing for God's glory. If God's Spirit is not moving us forward, then there's nothing we can do that will bring him honor and glory in and of ourselves and our own strength. Even today, with the Holy Spirit living in us as believers, if we quench the Spirit, if we grieve the Spirit, if we separate ourselves from the Spirit's leadership, he will fall quiet in our lives. And we will struggle. Churches, that happens all the time. Churches stop listening to the Holy Spirit's leadership. And guess what happens? They begin to struggle. They begin to fail. They can't bring God glory. But not only did God take away the Holy Spirit from guiding him, the second half of verse 14 says, and an evil spirit, which really is better translated a harmful spirit, was sent from the Lord, and it began to torment him. Now, you say, now, Pastor, that doesn't sound much like God. That we'd send this evil spirit. First of all, I don't want you to think this is some kind of a demonic thing. God was not in cahoots with Satan to try to do something demonic to Saul. I believe this was an angelic spirit that was sent to torment Saul. And you say, well, that still sounds pretty bad. But you've got to remember, this is the consequence of Saul's disobedience. This is the consequence of Saul not listening to God's voice. And so God sent this angelic messenger to fill Saul with regret and remorse and guilt and anguish and frustration and anger over his condition. So all this is going on in Saul's life, and so it tells us in uh, verse 15, Saul's servants said to him, they recognize what the problem was. You see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the liar and whenever the evil spirit from God troubles you, that person can play the liar, and you will feel better. So Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. You see, everybody recognized that there was this tormenting spirit that was affecting Saul's personality, his judgment. And so they came up with a cure, but it was a cure that was kind of a temporal sort of a cure. You know, let's just have somebody play some nice soft heart music and, and just kind of calm you and soothe your spirit. 
And yeah, there are a lot of times when we are troubled spiritually and we kind of get our minds off of that and think other things and we feel better for a while, but that wasn't really the solution that, Paul, that Saul needed. Saul needed something better than that. He needed to repent is what he needed to do. He needed to ask God to forgive him is what he needed to do. But Saul said, okay, well, we'll give that a try. Let's see who we can find. So here is Saul, racked with this tormenting spirit in him. And in verse 17, or excuse me, verse 18, we have probably the pivotal verse in this whole passage. One of the young men, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the importance of the, of the unimportant characters? One of the young men, one of the servants, answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He also is a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Now, I want to take just a couple of minutes and stop and talk, especially to the students and young adults at the Beacon today. I want to focus on you. Maybe it's because, Reese, here you've just graduated, you're getting ready to go off to college, and I'm thinking about what kind of reputation would I like for you to have when you step on the campus at Edwardsville? But not just you. I'm not picking on you, buddy. There's a lot of you in the room today who are at that point where you are building your reputation. And I want you to look just real quick with me at how this servant described this young David. The first thing he said about him was he was a valiant warrior. He said, this young man is a valiant man and a warrior. He was courageous. He was not afraid to take on a challenge. And you know, young people and young adults, let me say to you, if you could be known for anything, wouldn't it be great to be known that you were spiritually courageous? You were not afraid to stand for what you know is right. That you would go toe-to-toe for the honor of God. And that you would pour your life into prayer, asking that God would work through you to use you to do great and courageous things for Him. What a tremendous testimony that would be of your life. Secondly, in the Holman, it uses the word that he is eloquent. Actually, the real word is prudent in speech. And you know the word prudent just means cautious. In other words, he said, you know, this young man, this David knows how to control his tongue, control what he says. What a great thing for a young adult to be known for. Because a lot of people out there today, man, just whatever they think, that comes out of their mouth. And they need to learn to be prudent, to be careful in what they say. And for you as a young person, for you as a college student, for you as a young adult, and and really for all of us, but especially for those of you that are forming your reputation, to be known as a person who guards his or her words. Because you know, Jesus ties your heart to your mouth. Out of the deep recesses of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. So wouldn't it be great to be known as being a person who is prudent with their speech? The third thing, I really don't like the way the Holman translated because it just, it, it takes on a different meaning in today's world. It says, this young man is handsome. Now, I want you to understand, that does not mean necessarily having natural beauty. What it really meant was he presents himself well. He carries himself well. He is attractive in the sense of you're drawn to him because of the way that he presents himself. And I want to say to you young people today, you may or may not have been gifted with natural beauty or attractiveness, but you can be a person who presents himself or herself well. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you should carry yourself and present yourself, not with a a prideful self-pride, but rather being honored that you are a child of the King. And carry yourself that way. Walk tall. 
Have a calmness about your demeanor and in your character that shows the fact that you belong to the King of Kings. But the fourth thing, and of course the most important, was the Lord is with him. Now, to be honest with you, I have no idea how this servant knew this. I don't think that these verses happened immediately following David's anointing. I think David probably went back to the sheep and some time elapsed before we get to these verses. But obviously, this young David had developed a reputation through his words, through his demeanor, through the way he carried himself, through his courage and his valor, and the way the God enabled him to do things that normally a person couldn't do, killed a lion, killed a bear. And all of those things, he became known as being someone that the Lord was with. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit is with you. He's in you right now. But what we have to work on is making sure people can see that by the way we act, the things we do, the answers that we give to the situations that we see in life. And so I hope that in your life you are striving every day to be a courageous person, to be a person who guards their speech, to be a person who carries themselves with a dignity and an honor and presents themselves well, and as a person that everybody can tell has the Lord as his guide or her guide in her life. So, what happens? Verse 19, Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and one young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So here we have young David. A message is sent to his father. Send me your youngest son. I want him to serve me in my court. And off David goes, carrying a gift to the king into, David, into Saul's court. So what happens when he gets there? Well, before we get to that, let me ask you this question. What do you think David thought about all of this? Now, we don't know from the first part of chapter 16 whether David understood why Samuel anointed him or not. And in one sense, it really doesn't matter. If, if, if David didn't understand the anointing, he at least knew that this was kind of a unique thing. You know, prophets like Samuel, the greatest prophet in Israel of his day, they just go around pouring oil on people's heads, okay? So he knew this was something unique, and it must mean that God has something special for him. Maybe he thought, well, this must be my special calling, to go and be a servant to the king of all of Israel. What an honor. Maybe that was it. Maybe David did know. Maybe Samuel told him, and it's just not written in Scripture. If that were the case, David would be thinking, wow, this is not the way I expected to, <laughs> to come into God's plan. I kind of figured, you know, Saul would die or something would happen, and I would be, they, people would come to me, and they would make me their king. But whether David knew or not, this wasn't what he thought was going to happen with his life. Or at least probably wasn't what he was expecting. But David was trusting God. As a matter of fact, I want to take just a minute and turn back to verse 13. It's not part of the reading that we heard this morning, but at the very end of verse 13, well, not the very end, but toward the end of verse 13, there's a very interesting statement about God's Spirit. Look at what it says. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Now listen to the next phrase. And the Spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. Now you see how different that was from Samson? How different that was from Saul? This verse tells us that the Spirit of the Lord took control, rushed on David from that day forward. Does that mean that David was sinless? Of course not. We know some of David's story, don't we? But to tell you what it does tell us, it was that God planted his Spirit in this young man. And so David, trusting God's Spirit, knew that nothing happens by accident. 
everything happens for a reason. And he went to Saul's court. Well, look at what it says, beginning at verse 21. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul admired him greatly, and David became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, Let David remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God troubled Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would lead him. Now, just think a minute about God's plan here. You see, we're kind of above the story looking down on it. Think about how much David was able to learn as he was sitting there in Saul's presence, playing the harp, watching as Saul ruled the nation, watching what was going on, learning about the way things happen in a royal court. He also was watching a man from whom God had taken his spirit. You know, i got to be honest with you. If you go over to Psalm 51, we're not going to go there, but Psalm 51 is after David commits his sin with Bathsheba. And one of the lines in Psalm 51 says, do not take your spirit from me. Don't you think that maybe David remembered these days when he was serving as the harp player in Saul's presence? He knew what it was like for God's presence to to leave a leader. He knew what it was like to be tormented by God because of sin. And so David cries out and says, Lord, I have sinned against you and against you only. Whatever you do, don't take your spirit from me. Now, we as Christians, God said, I will never take my spirit from you, but I certainly can separate myself because of your sinfulness, and you won't be able to hear me. And our prayer should be the very same when we sin. So you see, it wasn't an accident. You look at it on the human side, Saul's still king, David's not, everything's just going along fine, Saul is continuing to rule his people. So from one that you see with your eye, so what if God took his spirit away? Saul's still in charge. Well, that's where I want us to kind of begin to finish up because if we go back to the first part of chapter 16, go back to Samuel in the home of Jesse, in the town of Bethlehem, looking at Jesse's sons. If you remember, the oldest firstborn son comes in, and he is strong, and he is tall. He's another Saul. Boy, he is just a strapping young man. And Samuel goes, oh, this has got to be the guy. But listen to what God says to Samuel in chapter 16, verse 7. In that verse, excuse me, not 7. Yeah, 7. In verse 7 of chapter 16, This is what the Lord says to Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Now, this is probably one of the most famous verses, famous lines in 1 Samuel. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible. Literally, what is of the eyes. Man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. That is a wonderful lesson for all of us. You see, all we can see is what we can see with our eyes. What is going on? But God is at work behind the scenes. See, that's the difference between the naturalist worldview and the biblical worldview. The naturalist worldview says all there is is what I can perceive. The spiritual, biblical worldview says I know what I see, I know what I can perceive, but I also believe that behind that there is a God who is at work. And so, in this situation, even though 
David was serving in a role that didn't seem anything like what God had destined for him. God had a plan. And by the way, you know, in a way, David is a good example for those of us that have to work for employers that are a little bit difficult to deal with. Anybody ever had a boss that was hard to get along with? A boss that was short-tempered, selfish, self-seeking, and you had to be working under that person, and it was just murder every day. Let me just remind you, nothing happens by accident. You see, David was God's restraining grace on Saul's life. Even though the Spirit wasn't working directly with Saul, the Spirit was working through David to restrain Saul. And in the same way, God could be using you in your place to restrain another evil situation. He also may very well plant you in a spot so that you can be a testimony to co-workers and others around you, and maybe to that boss. So just know that God's at work. But you know, the last thing I want to say about this passage before we pray is that this isn't just put in here to remind us that we ought to be good employees or to remind us that we should have a good reputation like David did. David becomes for us a type of a man that trusts God, listens to the Spirit of God, is led by God's Spirit, and does great things for God. Because there's going to be a descendant of David that's also at his inaugural of his ministry has the Holy Spirit come on him, who in his very first sermon, sitting in a synagogue in Galilee, reads from the Old Testament the words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me to preach good news to the poor. You see, Jesus is the antitype to David's type. David was a model, and Jesus fulfills the model. And we have one who is our king, our master, our ruler, our savior. And in two weeks, when we have our combined service, I want to invite you and encourage you to invite your unsaved friends or your friends maybe who are believers but are away from the Lord because we're going to talk about what does it mean for Jesus to be the anointed one. But Jesus is the fulfillment of David's type. And today, he says, if you will let my spirit live in you and guide you, you also can be one who can see that nothing happens by accident. You can be filled with faith. Somebody told me the other day that faith is not believing that things are going to turn out okay. Faith is being okay even if things don't turn out. Because, you know, we have our plans. We know what we believe is best for us. But God has his plans. And our role is to trust him. David did. Jesus did. The question is, will you? That's what I want you to go home with today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, for what it teaches us. Thank you, Father, for David, who was courageous. He was well-spoken. He presented himself well, and he had your spirit in him. I pray that every one of us, not just our students and our college uh, students and our young adults, but every one of us in the beacon today, will desire for that to be our testimony. That'd be the way that people describe us. 
But Father, most importantly, more than anything else, I pray that we will see in the life of David a shadow of our Savior, our King, our Messiah, our Anointed One, Jesus the Christ, who said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And you planted your spirit in our hearts. Help us to listen to him. Help us not to quench him or to grieve him so that we can do courageous, mighty things for you as individuals and as a church. To the glory of your name and to the expansion of your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.